This episode of The Hour on the Renewal Ministries Podcast Network is brought to you by Renewal Ministries. 40 years, as you know, of Catholic renewal and evangelization around the world. Go to renewalministries.net to find out more about our ministry. That is renewalministries.net. We're back! Everybody, it's been a while. It's been like two months, to be exact. Uh, Lots of factors as to why... There hasn't been a more recent episode of The Hour recently. I just said recently twice. See, I'm a little out of practice, but we'll, we'll get there. Basically, it was a combination of summer vacation, Pine Hills Boys Camp, some different speaking opportunities, and just needing a little bit of a break, if I'm being honest. But we're back. We have a great episode today with Peter Herbeck. Full disclosure, we recorded this episode back in, I think it was the end of May. But as I re-listened to it, It's every bit as pertinent and uh, on point as it was when we recorded it. So it aged well. It's only a couple months old. Uh, It's very good. It's a continuation of something we've done with Peter several times, which is continuing to lean into who is Jesus, what does he do for us, how are we supposed to read the signs of the times based on what he has said about himself and about how we as disciples are called to respond. I think you'll find it very edifying. I think you'll find it very inspiring. There are several points throughout it where Peter gets fired up, and whenever Peter gets fired up, it it leads to something pretty anointed. So that's what you can expect on this episode of The Hour, and then my commitment to you is that we will begin posting more episodes more regularly. We found that it's about every two to three weeks is a good rhythm for us, so we'll try to stick to that. I need some new guests, so if you have any suggestions, please uh, send me a message at Pete at id916.com. That's Pete at id916.com. And we'll reach out to those people and hopefully get them on the podcast. So without further ado, Peter Herbeck. But first, as always, our friend, Connor Flanagan. All right, I'm here with Peter Herbeck again on The Hour. We had Peter on a couple episodes ago where we just scratched the surface of some of the things we wanted to talk about in terms of who Jesus is. If you'd like to actually hear more about that, we just did a flash challenge with ID called the Pearl of Great Price Flash Challenge. That's on YouTube. You can look, watch basically a, a whole hour of Peter and I talking about Jesus. But as we talked about that, we realized there was still more to unpack and more to unpack in this platform, on this show, The Hour, which is designed to be uh, a time where we look at what is the Spirit saying to the church and how are we called to respond. Remember, The Hour, the name, is from John Paul II, The Hour of the Laity Has Struck. So how are we, as the laity, called to respond to what we see the Spirit doing in the church? And our king, as he leads the church, what does he need of us? And how do we best um, understand what the king is doing? and respond accordingly. So we're coming back to, over the course of the show, we've been at it now over a year. This is episode 31, which is pretty exciting. Um, Over the course of the the year that we've been doing this, there have been many times where we paused and said, what is the Spirit saying to the church? And so this episode is another one of those moments. So Peter, welcome back. What's the Spirit saying to the church? Thanks, Pete. It's good to be back. Um, I thought it might be useful for us just to remember some of the things that we feel that we've said over the past year dimensions of and ways of understanding how to read the signs of the times but also to hear what the spirit is saying as we read them you know it's the holy spirit helps us read them it's one of the things that happens and so the lord uses uh the lord can speak to our hearts as we ourselves observe what's going on but he also uses key prophetic people in time history recent popes and the like so i thought i would just touch on a few of the things we've talked about and then take a little bit of a deeper dive of an interpretation of, by one of the saints, St. Saint Bernardine of uh, Siena from the 14th century, 15th century, who d- really gave, a, a lot, gave us a lot of wisdom about the meaning of God's judgments and how they unfold and how you can see them and how you can understand them. So uh, kind of to begin with, we could go back to uh, some of the, the optics through which we have seen the... Uh, the challenges that are facing the church and what we're all living through. Everybody, Christian, non-Christian, knows we're living through very confusing, disturbing, destabilizing times. 
confusing. People feel out of control. People feel afraid. Um, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic has turned every, kind of turned the world on its head. And there's just a lot of troubling things in the waters and everybody can see it and feel it. Now, not everybody has the same interpretation in the world, but everybody's gripped by it for sure right. and disturbed by it in many different ways. And there's a lot of negative signs. So we can say something very dramatic has happened, is happening in the world at large. Uh, also, just kind of looking at the church itself. You know, we're seeing completely unprecedented things happening in the church. All kinds of, you know, the Lord is, in our opinion here at Renewal Ministries, is the Lord is coming to bring his redemptive discipline to the church, that the Lord's at work in the world. He's permitting what's happening in the shaking of the world in the broader sense. God's judgments, you could say, are in the land, um, in the church. The Lord, like in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the writer of Hebrews 12 makes it clear you know, that God disciplines those whom he loves. And his discipline is part of the exercise of his fatherly love for us. And that if he disciplines those whom he loves, and he said, if God doesn't bring his discipline, he said, it's like you're, a, you're, you're an orphan, you're a slave, you're mm. not a child, you're not a son or a daughter. And he said, the purpose of God's discipline is to produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness, of right living in peace, being rightly ordered to God and to one another. That's clearly not happening in the culture and in society, the level of division, the level of confusion and the like. So it's coming. The Lord brings his loving discipline upon the church. And one of the things he's doing is exposing its divisions, dispo exposing its deep sin patterns, its unrepented sin, or its troubling spiritual strongholds that are present in the church. And we can see that. And so the Lord loves us. He's near and he wants to come and purify and release us and bring us into greater freedom. So lots of people are troubled by the open division that's happening among bishops and cardinals around the world. That's, that is a big deal. It's kind of an unprecedented thing, and it's probably going to become more, it's going to get more intense. And so the thing I want to say is that people, people get rightfully concerned about it in the church, but it's important for us not to get immediately polarized or to get filled with fear and anxiety. We still have to obey the word of God which says to us very clear, have no anxiety about anything, right? right. But in all things, you know, uh, rejoice, always pray constantly and give thanks in all circumstances. It seems like, well, that's totally absurd yeah. in the midst of all these kinds of trouble. What sense does that make? Plus, it's an unrealistic expectation. Well, no, it's really what the Lord is calling us to do. And how you do that is we, we know all of this, as uh, St. John Paul II had said, is within the, the hands of divine providence. Uh, that, that famous thing that uh, Ralph wrote a booklet about, the statement by John St. John Paul. He said, you know, we've, we, we're entering the final conf confrontation between the gospel, the anti-gospel, the church and the anti-church, Christ and the anti-Christ. Um, and he said, there's a battle that lies within the plans of divine providence. And the entire church now is called to enter into this conflict. And uh, so here's a saint, here's a, a pope whose job it is, in part, whose vocation it is to discern and to read the signs of the time. So we know there's a, there's a large-scale spiritual combat going on between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And it's, uh, it's disrupting the order of society and people's lives and within the church itself. And, of course, Pope Benedict XVI um, has said many things about it, like we're, we're, what we're witnessing in the culture more broadly, it's impacting the church now, is a, ri a rise of, the, of an antichrist spirit that's, that's driving an anti-Christian creed. Mm -hmm. It's pushing uh, definitions of human identity, of the meaning of life, of what's good, what's evil, what should be rejected, what should be accepted. It's turning it on its head. And yeah. so there's, there's a lot there. We've talked about that in the past. So we know we're living in a time when the, the wisest among us in the church understand and have given us insight that we are in the midst of a very serious conflict and we need to see it in its spiritual terms, but always understanding that it ultimately was in the, is within the hands of divine providence so we can think wisely about it. We need to be discerning about it. We only see in a glass darkly when we have prophetic readings of what's going on. We don't always have the whole picture, but the Lord is giving us glimpses or insights into what's going on to help us to know how to respond to it. Um, 
really another significant way of looking at the moment we're living in on a spiritual level is in uh, the way the judgment unfolds is to read uh, Romans chapter one, which is describes for us what Pope Benedict XVI said at one point is the constant temptation of the human race, which is if we uh, read this here. Romans 1, starting in 18, says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness suppress the truth. So there's no doubt we're seeing a kind of unbridled ungodliness that's going on, open wickedness at a very high level. Um, it's it's celebrated. It, very much so. Very much celebrated, promoted, and now the, the literal force of government is pressuring people to affirm ungodliness and we're trying to instantiate in law the protection the exaltation the rewarding of uh what unquestionably is from a christian perspective a biblical revelation judeo-christian perspective is the celebration of ungodliness and wickedness and so but at the heart of it all paul puts his finger on it and this is this is worth going back to friends again and again to meditate on and to understand because it does give us insight into what's going on. He said that at the root cause of the problem is the sin-sick human heart in its pride and its desire for radical autonomy and independence from God or any rule over our lives. We suppress the truth, he says. Very interesting phrase, suppress the truth. He describes then this way, he says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So the suppression of the truth he's talking to now is suppressing knowledge of God. That's the fundamental, that's the fundamental reality Paul's putting his finger on here. And he says, ever since the creation of the world, his invisible nature, namely his eternal power and deity, has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. So, so throughout human history, uh, human beings understood in their desire to, to understand their existence, they reach, they look at creation, uh, the cosmos, what they're capable of seeing, doesn't matter how far back you go, there's some sense that this was created and that there's a God. And so humanity in, a, in its simple, broken ways tried to uh, acknowledge that reality in somewhere. So human beings felt conscience, they felt the reality of natural law, and there was an order to things that even pagans perceived at certain points. So Paul is saying this is a reality. And then he said, um, because of this fact, he said he saw in it uh, human beings are responsible because they have been given a mind and a capacity to see, and they have been given a will to follow what their conscience, the voice of God in them is saying as they perceive reality. He says when they suppress essentially that even simple or primitive voice of God at work in us, he'd say to suppress it is, is to do something that he says is very wicked, and he says that we're without excuse, like we don't do it innocently. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. There's the bottom line. They did not honor him as God or to give him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds are darkened. Now, I just had a conversation this morning with a gentleman uh, at my grandson's uh, elementary school or kindergarten, second grade graduation. I think it was something like that. <laughs> and afterwards, a big moment. it was a huge moment. Yeah. And afterwards, we're talking very intelligent guy. And he was just talking about the the chaos and the confusion and what seems like uh, in his words, he was saying like our politics, our social life are it seems like things are unraveling. People are losing their marbles, you know, like like yeah. really strange, contradictory, weird stuff. And we can't we can't get our hands around just uh, we're affirming things that are so weird and so bizarre and. And he's, he's not like a, himself a, a great prophetic voice or something. He's just a normal guy who's are trying to articulate what almost everybody is experiencing in some way. And so what Paul is saying here, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds are darkened. We're seeing, I believe, a, a particularly graphic expression of what Paul is saying here, the empty futility of a darkened mind. Um, the aggressive pushing of things 
now by law, the redefinition of marriage, the redefinition of family, the redefinition of human identity, all these things as if they were objectively totally true. And the fact that it totally contradicts everything that's ever been revealed in terms of Judeo-Christian history, but also naturally throughout human history, we're at a point right now that, that people are saying, no, we are, we're smarter than everybody that came before us. We have greater insights, you know, when our technology and everything else has brought us to the place where we see now all these things are true and these past things are not only false, but they're bad and they're evil and they're, they're motivated by hate and bigotry, you know? And so it's turning God's perspective of reality on its head. That's one of the ways we suppress the truth about God. What's happening is not only people are being canceled today, for example, or being judged because of traditional perspectives that they're standing on. Bottom line is what's being judged is God's perspective of his own creation. It's God who's in the dock, so to speak, to say your perspective we no longer find acceptable. It's not loving. It's not good. It's not... um, rational it's not working it yeah all that kind of stuff so we're going in a different direction and the you they make a break from traditional from the god of israel from the god of the old testament the god of the new testament the whole history of the western world and beyond they're making a break now some are just saying we're making a break totally from god or they're they're making a break from this god the one that we're talking about and creating their own you know what I mean? They're, they're, I'm going to become, I'm done with religion. I'm going to be spiritual. Yeah. And they're, I'm going to be spiritual, but I will no longer be religious. I don't want to be identified with, directly with any historical religion, partly because of the commands and the demands on that religion. And so people start to form, essentially, a spiritual life and a definition of God in our own image. That means a God who works for us a God, a perception of a God that we find acceptable, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so... And can I, you know, a, a really interesting part of that is this idea that he uses the word feudal in yeah. their thinking. Well, what is feudal? Feudal is this idea that the solutions we would come up with actually have no hope for success. It's, right. it's futile. Like, yeah. it's not going to work. Right. But we think it's going to work. And that's, that's what's so interesting is, like, apart from God... The ideas of man, the strategies of man, the outcome that we desire will not happen. Right. They're futile. Yeah. They they will not they will not produce what we think it's gonna produce. Yeah. So and that's what he's about to say, claiming to be wise. Like it's this it's mm-hmm. this ironic thing that by rejecting God, we think we're elevating ourselves to be able to be the lords of our own destiny and therefore accomplish everything man is designed to accomplish, but it's futile. Yeah. It will not lead to what we think it will lead to. Yeah, exactly. That's a good, that's a good expression of it. So as you say, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they become fools and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, images that was more primitive idolatry. But here's the point. The suppression of the truth is, is, the, is an act of idolatry. It's a, an act of rejection of God. So the fundamental sin Paul is pointing to is refusing to give to God what belongs to God. Refusing to acknowledge God as God. Um, and then turning, because we're worship creatures. We were made to give ourselves to something. And if we're not going to give it to God, we're going to give it to something else. So Paul is saying here, um, as a result of suppressing the truth about God, what we're doing is we're saying, we say no to, and here's the futility, the creator who's the ground of being, who brought us into existence, who alone can help us understand who we are, why we're here, where we came from. The only rational ground at all for reality is is an intelligent God who created it all and that we bear his image. We've always understood it that way. So if you reject God, you reject rationality, ultimately. If you reject God, you suppress the ground of being itself. Like he's holding us in being and saying, so the futility of is, okay, a creature, uh, who am I? Like, I mean, how small could we possibly be? We don't even know how we got here without God's help. We don't, right. we didn't make ourselves. We didn't bring ourselves into being. We're not, uh, we're incredibly finite and limited creatures. 
yet we're saying we're rejecting the one who made us and saying we will define reality on our own now. And so Paul, what Paul says, what that leads to, because it's ultimately an act of rebellion and a closing of the mind to truth, ultimately, the truth of God. So then God finally, he calls us back. This is an important piece because we're going to get to St. Bernardine that notice God gave them up. But before God gave them up to their futility, God appeals to us. God, in his loving mercy, tries to win us back through the gospel, through his love, through uh, the scriptures and what he reveals in the ministry of the church when it's healthy to help people see. But verse 24 says, therefore, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worship the creature rather than the creator. So this is this part of what we're talking about here today on the program is the patterns in which God relates to his people and his creation in order to help us either to first come to him, but to come out to enslavement out of futility. He doesn't want to see us lost in futility. He wants us to come into full health and salvation and live in love and have a right ordering to reality and not live in contradiction to myself, you know? And so in order to do that, when we're no longer listening to the, uh, the offer of God's explanation of reality, when that gets shut down, God's appeal of mercy, God shifts to what you'd call severe mercy or a, a redemptive discipline. And so Paul, Paul is, or, yeah, Paul is telling us here, um, God gives them over. That's going to happen three times. Human beings are free. And if we insist on madness, we're going to get madness. If we insist on foolishness, we're going to get foolishness. And God's not going to protect us from it if we demand it and if we walk into it. So then he goes on to say, for this reason, God gave them up. He says it again. How? How does it begin? By dishonoring. Uh, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. What are dishonorable passions? Their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed same shameless acts with men and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So here's an explosive passage for our time. I mean, nobody wants to touch this one. Um, people, some people in the church are working overtime to, you know, to excise this, this pad, these passages from the conversation of the church because the culture is so aggressive about homosexual behavior, the LGBTQ realities that are unfolding. This is a, this is a reality that probably everybody in the church wished wouldn't have emerged in society today because this is something the church simply cannot walk away from the definition of what is the meaning of human sexuality. And partly what Paul is saying here is when you lose sight of God as the creator and the designer, if you lose sight of objective design and truth about human sexuality and you lose, you lose hold of the designer, you're, you reject him, you're going to reject the design. And there's an objective reality about the meaning of human sexuality. It's built right into our natures. It's undeniable that it's there. We're the, first, we're the first generation in human history that is making claims about human sexuality and canceling, you might say, what we always knew about human sexuality. Um, and it's the result, ultimately, of humanity's rejection of God and the suppressing the truth about God. So Paul is, Paul is very clear here. He said, if you, if you deny the ground of being... If you suppress the truth about God, who is the creator and the designer, you will lose sight of that design at work in your own being. Here's where he's talking about the futility. I mean, what's more futile than exercising human sexuality, which is meant to be fruitful, which is meant to lead to union and multiplication of the species? This is the point of it. Right. Intimate union that leads to uh, reproduction and life and more eternal creatures, human beings. What's more futile than acts of sexual, uh, sexual acts that are in themselves completely fruitless? They're, they're sterile. They can't, they can't, the sexual acts can't produce 
what they're meant to produce. So it's an exercise in futility. And part of God's judgment is, okay, you're insisting on this? Look at it. Look at it for yourself. What do you see? And so there's the blindness is, there's a blindness there that says, no, this is right, this is fruitful. Not only this form of things, but let's now say like um, the NHL, for example, was, was getting on board with this two weeks ago in, on the day, International Day uh, Fighting Homophobia. They had the big banner that started the hockey games that night that on the screen said uh, the rainbow banner, and they said they were fighting homophobia, their transphobia, and biphobia. First time I'd ever seen biphobia now in the conversation. What's biphobia? People want to be bisexual. People are making decisions. We want to sometimes want to have sex with women. Again, here's another thing. We're defining the meaning of sexuality, and what are they doing? They're calling all these things phobias. What is a phobia? It's an irrational psychological fear, and it causes you to act in a way that's inconsistent with supposedly what's good and what's loving and what's kind. And so what, what we always understood to be the meaning and the, the dangers within the misuse of human sexuality, the rest of it now, all of this stuff is being celebrated. And hockey teams, for example, are flying the flags and saying, if you, if you think there's something wrong with people choosing bisexuality or any form, uh, transsexuality, you name it, there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with all the choices that are being made there. It's you. And why? Why? Because you're saying, because you think there's a design. You think there's a definition of what human sexuality is. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. So we're in this really tough spot because humanity's losing its mind and its, be, and its behaviors are getting more and more confused and screwed up in the whole area of this fundamentally important area of human sexuality. <laughs> that was your watch. Oh, it was my watch? Yeah. yeah. Siri was trying to listen in. <laughs> Siri, yeah. So we're in this, this massive confusion that is an open rebellion, a complete open rebellion against the will of God called freedom. And now the church is standing in this situation where she has to be faithful to who she is. She has to bear witness to the truth. And what I'm saying today is, as what we're describing, what Paul's talking about here, then one more time he says, and he gave them over because they did not see fit to acknowledge God. God gave them up to a base mind and to improper conduct. Verse 28. So verse 28 there is, is like the third step of what God finally gives us up to what's called a reprobate mind. And then all kinds of sin sort of cascades, starts to emerge and as accepted. So they were filled with all kinds of manner of wickedness, he said, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, their gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. So there's a, there's a whole list there, Paul is saying, and though they know God's decree that those who do such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but approve those who practice them. There's a lot to be said about this passage. The main takeaway I'd like us to have right now is to say, what Paul's trying to say is the suppression of truth about God is the fundamental sin that's revealed in the human heart and what we're describing about then the effects of it and how God gave them over. This is God's judgment on the sin of rejecting God. And so what we're seeing and what we're living through right now, one way to understand what we're going to, we are living in judgment. Hum, we're, the things that people are celebrating as revelation, as enlightenment, is the opposite. It's the opposite reality. It's, it's darkness. It's empty futility of a darkened mind. It's ungodliness. And God is allowing it to happen because it's going to lead us into deeper and deeper trouble, deeper deconstruction of society, family. Just to kind of take aside, remember what we've said many times in the program, um, Sister Lucia is saying about the final battle between the kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness is going to be over the family. And the reason is it's very clear that the family is the icon of God on the earth. It's the it's the the highest reality in creation that mirrors the life of God itself. We know that. And from Genesis to Revelation, it's the story of a marriage. Yeah. And so why is marriage being totally blown up? Even, you know, BLM emerges and you know, after the terrible incident with with um, 
George Mr. Floyd. Floyd, George Floyd in the Twin Cities, um, all of us immediately jump on board. Let's stop this stuff. You know what I mean? Let's stop the 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 racism. Let's do whatever we can to do this. And one of the things, oh, BLM, yeah, looks like a great. Let's let's get on board with those guys. Let's. And then I come to find out, in their mission statement, they promote the deconstruction and the rejection of the nuclear family. It's, it's right in there. It's one of their reasons for being, right? And so you say, look, as a Christian, I can't make common cause with that. I can't, I, it's insane to try to destroy the family, deconstruct the family, and make it what we wanted to make it. Look at the confusion that's there. And uh, so, friends, as you discern what's happening, what's the mind of God, I think I just want to offer to you today this understanding that what we're experiencing and why it's so difficult is the judgment of God. And the Lord is even surfacing in the church now the division that's among our leaders. Even some bishops are emerging and they want to change the church's teaching on some of this stuff. This has never happened in the history of Catholicism. It's never happened like it's happening right now in this battle. And, there's, and so uh, the Lord is surfacing it because he's going to deal with it. And so... Yeah, so yeah, I'd say that's, no, that's a foundational piece. He set the table there. Yeah. And just to highlight once again that Romans 1 hinges on so they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Right. That the, everything you just described starts with that sin of yeah. pride, basically. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that manifests itself in idolatry that leads itself to open rebellion which then everything you, you're talking about is a judgment, but it's also a, just a consequence. This is what happens when you ignore God. Yeah. Because then all of a sudden, things that are objectively futile, like sexual relations between men, which cannot produce life, that's inherently futile. No longer appear futile because in the eyes of the world because they've the, the mind has become divorced from the source of truth. So then it, now, now we're not even capable of having a rational understanding of what this really is. Yeah. So like you said, now let's look at it. Let's look at what what's happening in society. Well, when your m- mind is darkened, you can't even look at it. Yeah. It, it, so it, in other words, like the solution to this is not necessarily more rational argument. It's 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 repentance. Yeah. It's conversion. It's returning to honor God and give him thanks. So as he can pour clean water into uh, the mind that has become polluted, yeah. you know, because otherwise it just will remain in this this futile state in this senseless mind that ultimately it doesn't really matter how much Christians declare a certain truth about it if it doesn't lead to faith in conversion and repentance. Yeah. Otherwise, it, the, the cycle will just continue. Yeah. And I think remember the words of Jesus when darkness when when darkness is your light. How blind can you be when you actually call what, in fact, is darkness light? Yeah. Jesus said you're trapped in a profound blindness to be able to see. And so, you know, we, we see the re- one of the reasons we're so susceptible to this is one, you know, the world of flesh and the devil. The human heart is deeply corrupted. You know, we have we have battles against the flesh. We all have pride. We all have we all want to be loved. We all want to be accepted in the world. Things like that. The, we're tempted to the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, like John the Apostle said. But the church is also what's being revealed is in a very weak state, and so it's difficult to to fight the battle clearly. Just thinking of a few different studies. Of course, we know the numbers for the first time this past year. One na- big national study in the United States that. Uh, people who identify as being churchgoers has dropped under 50% for the first time in the history of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much b- much more dramatic than numbers are for younger people on all that because uh, they're getting swept up into the culture of, of the definition of what good people think and do, right. what loving people think and do and believe in and what they promote. And they're getting duped by it. And they don't, they're not converted. Right. Many of them are not converted. So I was thinking of the Legionnaire study that was done here in 2020 asking or making certain true false statements you know like uh, jesus is the first and greatest being created by god you know then said is that true or is that false 66 percent of catholics agreed with the statement that jesus is the first and greatest being created by god even though we say in the creed every sunday 
He's God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. Not made. That he's, yeah, yeah, he's not <laughs> he's made. He's not made. He's not made. <laughs> yeah. But almost 70% say he is made. Okay? Mm-hmm. That, that's just such a mind-blowing confusion. Um, so he, Jesus then gets reduced to good guy, good teacher, not the Lord of all, not the Son of God, who's the only Savior of the world, who's coming to destroy the kingdom of darkness and it works. So the second one is, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. Okay, 57% of Catholics agreed with that statement. That Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. They're not, and basically it's, that's just 57% of not, they're no longer Catholic. Yeah, they're not. I mean, right, they're not Catholic. They're not, they're not, we're not believing the not, same religion there. Right, like absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, this whole centerpiece of it is Jesus Pretty is the eternal Son of God that <laughs> yeah. took on human flesh. Yeah. And if He doesn't die for us, the perfect Son of God who takes with Him human flesh into glory for heaven, I mean, in heaven uh, forever, and makes the way for us to pass from death to life. And then he's, the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not personal. True or false? 72% of Catholics agreed that the Holy Spirit is just a force, but he's not a person. Even though we say the Trinity is three persons in one God. These are the central realities of Christianity. Okay, So it's no surprise that very large numbers of people are just drifting away from the faith because they actually don't know it. They're not living it. And they're clearly not disciples. They haven't given their life to Christ. They haven't come to terms with who he is, that he's the Lord of all. And they're living now to please him because they know who he is, you know. And so, I mean, Jesus's total preoccupation was to do the will of the father, mm-hmm. was to do the absolute opposite of suppressing the truth about God. <laughs> yeah, right. right yeah. He was he lived. It was his food. He said, this is the way to human happiness, friends. And this is the way you're going to find eternal life. And the world killed him. So when you look at Jesus on the cross, you say, there's the sickness of the, of, of the human heart. We're no different today just because we have computers and stuff. It's the same thing. Right. Right. The yeah. same temptation. So and then, you know, the real one of the sad things we've heard much about is just how was it? Seventy percent of Catholics today um, don't believe in the real presence. Right. So these are just indicators of of, of a profound lack of conversion and spiritual weakness which makes people which says they just don't know the faith they're not living the faith they're not converted to it so there's no resistance and will to resist the movement it's like why why resist this cultural movement that's going in this direction uh they can't come up with arguments for it they don't have the conviction inside their souls for it they just know hey this sounds great and this sounds more loving and kind so that's the that's the situation that we find ourselves in so the Lord is doing this, and there's another piece we have to see. The Lord's permitting this. He wants those people separated from the body. Now, let me clarify that. Jesus said very clearly in the book of Revelation, be either hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm, or I'll spit you out of my mouth. There's a lot of really lukewarm Laodicean Christians or baptized people who actually don't believe the faith, but they still consider themselves Catholic. And that's the salt that's flat. That's the light that's gone dim. And Jesus said, when the salt goes flat, what good is it to me? He said, it's good for throwing out and stamping underfoot. Now, Jesus is separating essentially unbelievers from the faith for their own sake, Mm -hmm. to lead them to repentance and to purify the church. Jesus is shrinking the church through a purification because people are leaving because it's getting uncomfortable to be a Catholic. Um, because the culture is against it in this momentum we're talking about. So it makes it, it makes it a lot easier. So the Lord is permitting this to happen because he's pruning the church. Right. That's part of the judgment that's going on. He judges for purification. He wants to wake people up to, to see that he can remove from them everything that hinders real love, and there's no loving God without accepting the truth about God. You know, it's, it does, doesn't work to say, I, it's my God, I basically I love my God and the God that I've created for myself, for my own bliss, for my own whatever. Um, it's not true. It's another it's futility. You don't create God. God reveals himself. He's right. the ground of all being. So so these this is the spiritual milieu that we're in. And uh, lastly, I, do we have time to do? Um, yeah, let's dive into it. Yeah. OK. I just want to get at this was all just setting up. St. Yeah, Bernardine here, so yeah, yeah. let's get there. Right, right, right. So St. Bernardine, born 1380, uh, died 1444. 
He was from Siena. Uh, he was one of the greatest uh, preachers of his time. He was a Franciscan. He uh, became the general of the friars of the strict observance of the Franciscan rule. Um, he, when he began, there were 300 friars. When he left, there were 4,000 friars. Wow. So he was a very influential guy. And, and it said in, in his, uh, the biography on him, it said that he, he obeyed St. Francis, who said to all the brothers about preaching, when you preach, he said, preach vice and virtue, preach punishment and glory. Vice, virtue, and punishment and glory. This is a good thing for any preachers and teachers who are listening to take a page out of the book. So he gave, he gave some very insightful things, friends. We talked about the punishments that God, the chastisements that God brings on nations. And he said, usually the result, it's the result of pride, luxury, and avarice that dominate society. And he said, and to combat pride, wars often, the Lord permits wars to break out, luxury usually plagues, avarice, famines. These are the principal punishments, he said, that the Lord permits to have happen to wake people up. That's interesting. And then he says this, signs of God's judgment are near. How can you tell? He said, number one, that usually begins with the time of God's mercy. Now you think about the last hundred years, what's been happening in the church with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the Catholic charismatic renewal and uh, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the mercy that's there and the rise of uh, Sister Faustina's whole ministry of mercy, right? The divine mercy that's going all over the world. And so this divine mercy and then this amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the kindness and the love and the power of the Holy Spirit revealing God's mercy and bringing hundreds of millions of people into an experience of the profound love of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus Christ, power to live a different way of life, amazing experience of forgiveness, love for the sacraments. This stuff really came through this global movement that no one person has started. It just started happening all over the, all over the earth in answer to the prayers of Pope John, St. Pope John Paul, uh, excuse me, St. John the 23rd of the council when all the council fathers prayed for the grace of a new Pentecost to come upon the church and God in his mercy poured out that Holy Spirit and at the same time the divine mercy so powerfully is making its way all around the world. So he said, usually God, why? Because he wants to win us. He wants to woo us. He wants to bring us close to his heart. That's his goal for our sake, not because he needs it, because he wants it to happen for us, right? So that's number one. But when people refuse it, refuse the mercy, and don't embrace it, don't pay attention to it, the church doesn't preach it, whatever, um, he said he begins to prepare the punishment for impenitent sinners, that is, people who refuse to turn their hearts to God. Three, when the offense is complete, he calls it the hour of taking up the sickle, when the hour of his judgments come. Okay, the signs that the signs that um, the harvest is ripe. This is this is really very very interesting. He gave seven signs. Number one, uh, sign that the harvest is ripe for God's judgments. Now remember Isaiah, for example, twenty six nine says, "When God's judgments are in the land, men learn righteousness." Yeah, you know it's it's for our own good that God does it, and it's an act of love. It really is. So. God, God is love itself. He's never done anything other than to act in a way for our good, for our salvation and whatever it takes. So number one, um, the existence of many horrendous sins in the culture. It's an important sign. He said, like Sodom and Gomorrah was the phraseology he used. I mean, think of our situation. We're living in a time again where, you know, the new administration, for example, here, you know, is just aggressively pushing abortion rights right up to the last breath all over the earth. Right. So um, this grotesque evil is called a good and people are using their power to do it and making sure others are doing. It. Look at the fornication, the hookup culture, the, the LGBTQ stuff, the ubiquity of pornography, the pushing of assisted suicide, the kind of uh, the level of lying and deception that's happening in the culture you know the on a global scale the kind of um, deception about it, what it means to be human and human identity so number one he said 
existence of many horrendous sins. Number two, sins committed in full knowledge and consent. These sins, full knowledge and consent. They're bold about it. Number three, the sin committed by entire people, whole peoples, whole nations, starting to embrace these things. I can't help but think about when Ireland, Ireland, you know, accepted um, abortion for the first time. Ireland was such a holdout. And people were dancing in the streets, you know, thousands and thousands of people. Same thing with the redefinition of marriage. We're free. We're free. You know, so he's saying when you see it happening, um, not only horrendous things, but you see it happening with full knowledge. And entire peoples and the forces of entire peoples and nations are getting behind it. He said, number four. And it happens in a public and a shameless manner. Think about the gay pride, the gay pride parades all over the world in the major cities that more and more people are being forced to celebrate. Uh, politicians are getting involved in. I mean, it's just a lot of shamelessness about it. And people, people pushing things like assisted suicide as acts of mercy without shame, you know. Abortion, same thing, you know. So, number five, uh, it happens with the affection of the heart of sinners. It, that, like it comes from the heart. It's not only shameless, but it's expressed that way. You think about, I think about New York when the state of New York a couple of years ago, you know, passed the law that a, that a baby could be aborted, killed right up to its last breath. And the video of the legislators, some of them Catholic, a governor who's Catholic, they're literally dancing celebrating, crying, you know, because of this wonderful thing they've done. And then the governor goes out and he lights up the capital of the world, New York City, lights up the towers to celebrate their, that we can now kill babies right up to their last breath. We have the power to do that. By the way, that's another prerogative of God. God gives life. God takes it away. But now since we're God, we determine when life begins. We determine when it's going to be taken away. We determine what it is and when it is. So these things are so significant. Now, so number six, he said, it's committed with intelligent uh, attention and diligence. Think about how much work is going into pushing forward the things we're discussing. The legal process, the fundraising, the propaganda. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, there's a huge commitment to this stuff. A huge attention and diligence is paid to the promotion of wickedness. Literally across every element of society. Absolutely. From little children, little children. Schooling to sports to media to government to churches. I mean, it's... it's I mean, look look what's happening in public schools now, even all the way down to first grade, already teaching children uh, like the whole uh, alphabet soup of human sexuality, you know? That you're, they're starting to indoctrinate them. This takes a lot of work, a lot of attention, a lot of dedication, a lot of focus, a lot of power, a lot of money. A lot of intelligence. Yeah, a lot of intelligence. It's all, it's all happening there. So number seven, it's done in a, in a continuous and persevering way. So let me read these again, friends, just to be able to take, take home. I'm offering these to you from this great saint, these things, because it does help read the signs of the times and understand what's unfolding. We are in judgment. It's not that judgment's going to happen. It's happening. And the church needs to see it and repent where we're connected to it. And the church needs to preach into it and help people understand and see what's going on. So number one, signs the harvest is ripe. Existence of many horrendous sins. The sin is committed in full full knowledge and consent. The sin is committed by entire peoples as a whole. Number four, it happens in a public and shameless manner. Number five, it happens with affection of the heart of sinners. Six, it's committed with the attention and diligence of, and number four, and number seven, excuse me, done by a continuous and per, in a persevering way. So he, do, he says it's a few other. pretty insightful. Yeah, it's very insightful. It's pretty spot on. Yeah, and then he says this too. He says, then when it gets, when it gets to that point, God takes away people's guides in the world, good guides, politic- good politicians, spiritual leaders, they get taken away and you get replaced by false teachers, confused people, because it's part of God's judgment. People are insisting 
on what they want, and he gives them more of what they want. You think about the kind of leaders that have emerged in the Christian community in many ways over the last 20, 30 years. Look at the kind of politicians that we get and the confusion that's there. Um, he even says that God removes presiding, the presiding angels over the nation. Hmm. Now, remember the story of Fatima? Mm-hmm. when the angel of Portugal came and revealed himself to the children and led them to, re- to learn how to repent and to help intercede for what was going to happen in the upcoming wars. So what he's saying is, is the Lord draws back the protection of the angels that hold back the principalities and powers that are trying to dominate and control the world and to seduce even the church into it. Very interesting, yeah. you know? Number two, so that was number one. He takes away people's guys. Number two, he takes away the light of truth. Think about that. The light of truth. We're being forced today to circle the square. We're being forced to say a man is a woman, a woman is a man, and that can change as many times in a person's life. It's all by choice. It's all, I mean, the confusion of things that are so obvious, right? God is taking away the light of truth. We're living lies. We're, we're, we're you know, so... Uh, number three, he you allows know, them. What's interesting about that too, the light of truth is, it's, it's it's like almost impossible right now for people to agree on anything. Yeah. Not just like yeah. what you just said there, but just even anything, any just any science. Yeah. Any fact, uh, like literally, when you think something could be established as fact, whether it's historical or whatever, all you have to do is do a simple search online, and you'll find polar opposite opinions yeah whether it's anything to do with the pandemic politics religion history everything is all of a sudden like there's just no standards of truth right at any level yeah and in the church too right you know and so it all goes back so the third thing i'll before i summarize he's the first one he said that god takes away people's guides number two he takes away the light of truth three he allows them to fall into the hands of their own devices and then demons have their way with them. Jeez. That's where it goes because people are insisting they want to be untethered from God. They don't want to submit to the reality that God has made and we insist on our own. So we're there. We're absolutely there. And... Um, these things are these it's in a kind of escalated way. So, you know, going back again to what St. John Paul II said, this is a battle that lies in the plans of divine providence. What the, the church of all people needs to be able to see this, your salt and your light. So what's the answer? What are we supposed to do about this? Well, the first thing we're supposed to do is to bow down before the Lord ourselves and to see the situation that's in the world to humble ourselves before God and to, and to have our hearts break for the condition of the human race and its rebellion against God, to pray, to intercede, to fast, to align our own lives and hearts with God and to pray that God's will be done. And uh, number one, number two, where's my life in relationship to these things? Whom do I serve? In what way am I suppressing the truth about God in order to get along, to secure my future. You know, Jesus said um, very clearly for his disciples, I've been rejected and hated by the world. You will be too. When it, when it begins to happen, when tribulation comes your way, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. Keep your eternal perspective. Life is a breath. We're passing into eternity. There's one of two destinies we're passing into. Literally, friends, we're going to be at that door very soon, every single one of us. And the eternal realities are what matter. Right. And what, um, what a world that's rejected God comes under its own pride. And what ends up happening, friends, is we end up, you know, getting back to Hebrews chapter 2, the devil's strategy to enslave the human race through the fear of death and death is a dark disordering power that casts a shadow 
over the human heart. What is it? Is it the Magnificat? You know, the dawn from on high, either Zechariah's canticle mm-hmm. or the Magnificat. The dawn from on high is broken upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and the shadow of death. Yeah. When that happens, death, the, the human mind becomes darkened and we, we live in fear. And so that fear drives us. That's, we've seen a lot of the results of that in COVID right now. So we're at, we're at the point of, you know, the vaccine passports now that are, that are going to be global, global realities, you know, and, and the kings of the earth are putting, the, putting those things together. And there's going to be uh, central databases for DNA, uh, central databases. Everybody's going to have, um, going to have complete, really, understanding of where human beings are pretty much at all times. In the state of Israel, of all people, are the first ones to do it. I mean, you can't even get into a grocery store without a vaccine passport. You mm-hmm. know, and when you put in when you put in your credit card, it's all going to be connected, and everywhere you go, it's it's getting more and more. The whole globe is getting a little bit more like China all the time. And this is a real deal, and so you say, okay, uh, th- my, we're all in the place. I'm in the place initially. Oh, that sounds a good idea. You know, we're just kind of protect people from spreading vac- you know, uh, infections and diseases and things like that. There's a whole lot more going on, but the reason people are susceptible to it, I'm susceptible to it, we're all susceptible to, because we're afraid of dying, we're afraid of disease, we're afraid of discomfort, we're afraid of all that, and human beings easily get sucked into um, forces and powers that want to take advantage of moments like this, you yeah, know? Right. So. Yeah, and the Christian living with the eternal perspective just sees the world differently, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. On both sides of every kind of, uh, it's just the, it's such an anchoring reality yeah. with the, of everything you just said in terms of if if I'm made for heaven, and that's the death is a doorway into a new life because of Jesus Christ. Just everything's different. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was uh, that was good. I think I have a sense that we're gonna have to come back and talk a little bit more about okay, though the seven that you described here. Now, what do we, you gave a couple tips here on how to respond, but I think we could probably break that down even more. And I bet he even has some wisdom as to sure. wha- how yeah. Christians are supposed to yeah. navigate times of judgment, because yeah. it's also a great time for evangelization. Yeah. Judgment Absolutely. is a great time to, to call people from the broad way to the narrow way. Yeah. And it's, it's, we're meant to, when Jesus said, be of good cheer, he meant that. Right. And so. We c- why can we do that? Because we're playing mental games in our head? No, we can do that because we know the truth about the only way to find human happiness and the, and the way to understand reality and to be ready for eternal judgment is to know God. And that's the good news. The good news is he actually has revealed himself to us. And he human beings aren't just simply floundering around. Right. Don't ha- we don't have to flounder around and create everything and self-create everything. We know the way the truth and the life has come to us. So the first thing we have to do is live with him together. Yeah. You know, individually in our heart and live with him together and then do all the stuff he asked us to do. Right. You know, so let's live. Let's live. Raise radical families. Let's have families Take care of families of the poor, together. Yeah, let's sure love, the, let's yeah. love our neighbor. Yeah, you know, right. this kind of stuff. Let's and f- only free people can do that. And let's avoid uh, seeing our neighbor as our enemy. Yeah. You know, I love St. Francis used to say to the brothers, you know, there's not. um there's not one human being on the planet, essentially, he said, that's my enemy. And he said, when they mistreat me, when they judge me, when they shout me down, when they harm me, he said, I pray for them. And I'm thankful because what they do to me helps prepare me for heaven. Yeah. He said, I call them my friends. Yeah. Now, can you imagine? I mean, no, how I'm radical not, is that? Yet. Yeah. <laughs> how radical yeah. is that? Yeah. You know? Right. And, and he because he understands it. He said because he knows soon He's right. going to be before the Lord, you know, and all that matters, he said, is to live, live with, live for him. And that gives us the freedom to love, really. Mm-hmm. You know, if if the world's a zero sum game, you know, that we're all fighting for limited resources and who's the real party that knows what's going on and where's the real answers. And no, you, you know, that you see the polarization and demonizing that's going mm-hmm. on all over the place in the culture. If I don't agree with you on whether you should be vaccinated or not. You know, I become either a friend or your enemy. You know what I mean? Right. You, 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 we, we were polarizing constantly. Uh, and if we're not agreeing with the things that are being rolled out, you're on one side or another. And these huge divisions are coming. 
all over the place. They're, and there's trip wires everywhere. People don't know where to walk before it all gets <laughs> set yeah, off. Right. That's demonic. Yeah. And so to be free is to say, I, I can live with hope and freedom of the sons and daughters of God because I know the new thing and the eternal things already begun to happen in my life. I'm united to Christ and I know this world is a troubled, broken place that God loves and I can be a help here. Um, and the only way I can be a help is do what pleases him. And I just need to set my heart on pleasing him and I'll do my little thing that he allows me to do before now and when I die. Right. And I have to stay above the fray in that sense. You know, I have to stay. I cannot get suckered into the vortex and the, the spiraling down of division and enmity toward one another and hatred and blaming other people and stuff. I need to navigate and make wise decisions and make my contributions. But I know yeah. ultimately the only hope for any human being is to be in God. There's no hope for the world at all apart from Jesus Christ. There is none. Zero. I don't care how many Bill Gates there are that are, you know, how much how many new AI projects and this, that, and everything are created. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The world is sick and it's here we are again, again and again and again. It gets manifested. And the human heart is writ large all over the place. It's confusion, it's deception, it's fears, it's weakness, it's lusts, it's pride, it's hatred. It's all over the place. Yep. You know? And um, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And look at the kind of conversations we're having in public and that are every night, every day, you know, the heart's being revealed in so many people. And so the Lord is letting us see it. And he'll keep going. He's going to say, come to me. Let me help you. I want to give you a new heart. I want to teach you how to love. Look at Jesus. Everybody hated him at a certain point other than a very small band of people. Right. And he was cru crucified. And even them, they ran away. <laughs> yeah. And he said, Father, forgive them. Mm -hmm. They don't know what they're doing. And um, that's the heart of Jesus, even for the people who are doing wicked things on the earth that they think are good. Right. It's, just, it's his heart toward me, too, you know, toward the, the bad decisions I make in my life that I think are good or, you know, right. for my own pleasure or my own personal interest, putting myself before others. And he's like, Father, forgive Pete, Peter. I love them. I need to save them. I'm here to save them. My blood, I'm offering it up for them. Yeah. And uh, I want to make them a new creation, Father, that looks like, so they look and live like children of God. I really want to help them do that. And that's what Jesus wants to do with everybody. Yeah. You know, to help us do that. That's the only way out of this. Yeah. We cannot make a useful contribution to any of this stuff apart from living in and through Jesus. We really can't. Yeah. You know? Amen. So Amen. Uh, if you want more of this or in kind of some very specific topics go to the renewal ministries youtube page the channel subscribe hit the little bell so that you get notified when you uh, post a new message we post one every week and uh, either peter or ralph are, are constantly commenting on a lot of the themes that we talked about today so if you're looking for more go there thanks peter you're welcome good to be with you All right, that was Peter Herbeck, and I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation. Normally, as you know, I give a little reflection here, a little inspiration. I'm going to keep it short today, just trying to get back on the bike of doing these episodes. But just a quick exhortation to be grateful and to avoid complaining. The last several readings at Mass over the last several weeks have been about the Israelites lost in the desert, coming up to the Promised Land, complaining about the food, complaining about whether or not they're ever going to get in the promised land, whether they're going to be killed by the giants in the promised land. And there's just this theme that you see in the readings of question, questioning the faithfulness of God and questioning his promises. So it's a two-part exhortation, I guess. One is to spend more time reminding yourselves of what are God's promises to his faithful ones, to those who follow him. What does he promise? What does he say he will do for those who love him? And then secondarily, Spend a little bit more time being grateful for those promises and being grateful for what the Lord has done in our life as opposed to what we think he needs to do. And let's just keep an eye out for complaining. It's really easy to fall prey to a, a spirit of um, ingratitude and uh, anxiety about the future, anxiety about the present, and just not taking stock of all that God has done for us. And I, I get it. Times are hard. 
There are, there are lots of things that are legitimately challenging in our lives, but that should never rob us of our joy and it should never rob us of our ability to still thank the Lord for what he's done for us and to avoid that griping, that complaining spirit that ultimately when we succumb to that, when we complain, it's an offense against love because we're not loving the Lord. We're not thanking him for what he's done for us. And it's also an offense against faith to say, I believe that who he says about himself, who he says about me, what he says about my, my future will come to pass. So let's fall back into the arms of our loving father. Let's remind ourselves about his promises. And then let's also spend a little time either repenting for the times we've complained or spending more time thanking him so as to avoid a complaining spirit. All right, this has been the hour. Like I said, we're back, <laughs> hopefully better than ever, and uh, we'll keep trying to pump these out. If you like this, it goes a long way to subscribe and to rate us wherever you listen to your podcast. Don't forget to tell a friend about the hour if you're so inclined. I'm Pete Barak. We'll see you next time. God bless. Thought I knew it better, felt it, felt it. I knew it was real and it was here to stay.